Hey, before I start, just put it out there. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, I'd invite you, encourage you to grab one and have a look at. Uh, if you have a telephone, those things have Bibles on them. If you find that distracting, uh, or if you just like paper, there's also a stack of paper Bibles in our brand new... Sh- if you were here last week, uh, you'll know that Gospel Church just turned four. In fact, I was, I was um, sitting with a guy at this conference last week uh, in, a, in a breakout session, and he was like, hey, how's Gospel Church doing? And I was like, yo, we turned four this last week on, um, what day is it? And he was like, the third. I was like, oh, today. Uh, <laughs> and happy birthday, everyone. We celebrated last week, but, uh, but blimey, if it isn't a good thing to celebrate, that God has been good to us and caring for us and sustaining us and growing us for four years. Isn't that amazing? Uh, but in that time, things around here have changed uh, quite a lot. Um, you know, since a, a bunch of uncertain folks crammed into our lounge room that first week in Port Vincent, uh, sung some songs, looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 together, and tried to figure out kind of their part in all of this. What does it look like? I'm, is this a church I'm going to be a part of? These guys are weird. They're singing off a TV screen. Um, you know, their musicians are fairly, fairly rusty sometimes, not always. Um, you know, is this, is this a church I'm going to be a part of? You know, when we started out, though, we called it Gospel Church. And there's a reason behind that. Um, it's, it's greater than the fact that we just kind of liked that name. It sounded good, although I think it does sound good, just personally. But uh, our desire here at Gospel Church is to be a church characterized by the good news of Jesus Christ. A community that goes deep with each other, because, because we are freed to do that in the gospel of Jesus. Disciples who genuinely grow together because the gospel is changing us as we speak and as we live it out toward one another in life together. People on the mission of God which calls us to go out with the good news into the community around us to take out the news that Jesus saves to those who are not saved yet by it and faithfully proclaim that good news. We want to be a gospel church. We want to be a gospel-shaped church where it doesn't sit at the periphery but sits at the center and pervades everything. And um, I, feel, I feel like a lot of us really feel the weight and the importance of that last one I mentioned of evangelism, of taking the gospel out with us. Uh, we want it to go out, right? Like I think, I think if you are a follower of Jesus, you want people to believe in Jesus. Uh, I think that's, that's one of the basic marks of a Christian probably is that they want other people to have this thing that they have found. Um, our, our vision statement as a church is that we exist to see the gospel go out to all peoples in the country with transforming power for the glory of God and the joy of all who will come to believe. Isn't this what we want, church? Isn't this why we exist, to see the gospel impact people's lives, to be grown ourselves in it and to go out with it? But at some point in there, uh, for many of us, if, if we're really honest, there's a bit of a disconnect, right? Yeah, we've, we've, we've addressed this before. We really, we really want to see that happen. We want to see people get saved, but we struggle to see ourselves as the one doing that, don't we? Uh, Does that ring true for you? Um, Perhaps we feel the weight of the call to carry the gospel out with us 
that we feel so ill-equipped to do it. So, or, or, you know, so afraid, so anxious that we'll get it wrong. And so burdened by the responsibility that we end up kind of immobilized, incapacitated by that. Do you relate? Today we're stepping into a new series. It's called Gospel-Shaped Outreach. Um, it's going to be running alongside what we're doing in our gospel communities. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about the season. This is, a, this is a training and growing season in the gospel. Now, it's important to note, when we train as a church, when we try to grow as a church, we don't step away from the gospel, we step into the gospel and see how it speaks to us to change and to be transformed. But our desire in this is not, not to whack ourselves again over the head with the weight of failure and responsibility that is ours in the gospel. Because here's a little, little known fact. Guilt doesn't solve anything. Guilt doesn't drive change. Guilt doesn't drive evangelism. Praise God, right? <laughs> guilt is not the force that drives the Christian life. Grace is. In fact, what we're going to see today is really very simple. If, if you're in a gospel community, this last week, you would have spent time looking at the question, how are we going? How are we personally doing with this whole outreach thing, this gospel outreach thing? And, you know, for some of us, the answer to that question can have been really sobering. But let's not get buried under the guilt of the fact that it's not going well for us. I mean, some of us, it's going great. And that's praise God, right? But, but. Rather, let's look to the one who is revealed in the gospel. Let's look into the gospel itself. And as we look into the gospel today, what we'll see is that the gospel drives us to go and take it out. So in our opening few verses, have, have a look at this with me. Our opening few verses, Paul uses two words to describe how he feels about coming and sharing the gospel in Rome. The first one, for many of us who nodded earlier on, is probably pretty relatable, right? He says, I am under obligation. Hmm. Verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Paul knows that he is obliged, obligated, I'm not sure which one, um, to share the gospel. The gospel is for everyone, he says, and so he is obliged to share it with everyone. It is his responsibility to do so. I don't know about you, but I suspect that many of us connect with that feeling of obligation to do this. Maybe obligation is the main word that we think about when we think of uh, sharing the gospel. Or if not, you know, if not a word that comes to mind when you think about it, more of a feeling that happens down in your lower gut when you think about it, when you think, oh, I need to share the gospel. And here's Paul, good old Paul, freeing us up, giving us the grace of the gospel, and he 100% confirms that we are obliged. Thanks, Paul. But actually, here's the thing, here's the thing. The way that Paul uses the word obligation is actually profoundly different to how we might be thinking he's using that word or how we might use it. 
When we think of obligations, usually our minds go to things that we have to do but do not want to do, right? So, for instance, taking out the bins. Raise your hand if you love taking out the bins and look forward to it every week. Come on, brothers and sisters. No. Um, going to the dentist. Not seeing a great deal of support, right? And, and that's what we think of when we think of obligation, right? I should do that, keep my teeth good. You know, I was chatting to someone this last, last week who was like, it's been a long time since I went to the dentist. I know I should go, but I just, I'm scared of what will happen when I go because it's been so long. Do you relate to that? If you've been a, a late dentist attender, I've been a late dentist attender. You know, the obligation gets bigger and it crushes you because you're like, oh, I know what they're going to find. Um, but that's not the kind of obligation that Paul's talking about. We know that because as soon as Paul has told us that he is obliged, he uses another word to qualify that. He says here, here in verse 15, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, when I think of taking out the bins, I don't get hit with a great wave of eagerness. You know, uh, when, when I think of getting that cavity drilled and filled, I don't feel my heart leap with expectation and motivation to go and do that, do, do you? No, right? But, but that's how Paul feels about sharing the gospel. He says he has an eager obligation. What, what is that? Feels a little bit foreign when we first say it, right? An eager obligation. It feels like, like, like a false dichotomy maybe. And oh, No, no, not that. Like a, it shouldn't be together. Oxymoron, thank you. Perhaps, perhaps the easiest way that I know of to make this deeply relatable to everyone, if you have serious respiratory conditions, you're exempted from this next part, okay? Uh, or, or heart conditions. Um, but here's an analogy, and, and, and work this with me. Give it a go. All right, take a breath. Now breathe out. Hold. Keep holding. Oh, I still had breath. Were you eager to take a breath? Yeah, right? Were you obliged to? Did you need to take a breath? Yeah, you did. And you wanted to. It, 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 like, like you had to do it. You were obliged. It was necessary. But it's not a chore. It's life to take that breath, right? It's good. You want it. Um, as, as a father, uh, I think that I'm obliged to read with my kids. Right? That's an obligation that I have. It's, it's a good, right thing for a father to sit down and, and disciple his kids, to read God's word with them, to read other good resources with them, um, to, to have fun with them through doing that, and to, and to help them to learn in their actual reading and education in doing that as well. It's, it's, a, it's a thing I should do. I'm obliged to do it. But, but like, even though I make time for that, it's not because I'm begrudging them for it it's not an obligation that i just feel like oh, I, I, oh gosh i need to read this beautiful picture book with charlie again and man i wish i could not do that right like that's not how that works when i when i take the bins out i'm like gosh i really wish i didn't have to do this i wish i wasn't like that but i kind of am but when i get to read with my kids i love that you know i got back from this three-day conference yesterday and like one of the first things we did was to sit down on the couch and grab some books. And we read some books together. It was great. It, it was beautiful. That's the kind of obligation that Paul is talking about here. 
The gospel gives us an eager obligation to share it with others. And the logical question, right? The logical question is, you know, what do we need to know? Why? Why, why does he see it as eager if we don't see it as eager, right? What makes him eager? Why is Paul filled with eager obligation to do this thing? And, and we should ask that question because this isn't just something that applies to him, right? Like, we are under obligation and we desperately want to be eager in that obligation, don't we? And what we find in these next three verses are reasons for obligation. They oblige us but moreover reasons for eagerness, which should also set a flame under us of eagerness to go. The eager obligation of the gospel is driven by the very nature of the gospel itself. By the very nature of what it is and what it does the gospel gives us eager obligation. So Paul gives us these three statements here that we're going to separate this into. Really, it's one big statement, but we're, we're going to break it down into three, uh, which can light us up with eagerness for the gospel. First, he shows us the might of what we have been given. He says, for I, this is verse 16, follow with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, notice the for at the start there. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. What he's saying now, now these things are the reasons for the eager obligation that he's told us about. This is, this is why he's eager. This is why he's obliged as well. In fact, many commentators actually believe that this is kind of the, the subject of Romans, compacted down into, into a couple of verses. So Romans 16, uh, 1 verse 16 17. But it is also so profoundly powerful for giving us eager, eager obligation. And his first reason is that the gospel is mighty in salvation. How often might we fall under the lie that no one's going to be saved, right? So why bother? I mean, maybe, maybe you just tried sharing your faith at some point. Uh, maybe you did it a whole bunch of times and you got knocked back a few times. And, and maybe you did that and, and did that. And eventually you just concluded that it just doesn't work. You know, it's, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't do this whole saving people thing, or, or at least that it doesn't work for you. You know, maybe, maybe others see people come to faith, but that could never happen for me, for you. I'm not good enough for that. I'm not clear enough for that. I'm not eloquent, moving, convincing enough for that. I stutter, I stumble, I don't know what to say. But here's the thing, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, what we proclaim is not ourselves. Praise God. You're not enough. I'm not enough. That's good news. Because you're not the message. You're the, you're the vessel of the message. You're not the power. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. He's where the power is. The question isn't, am I good enough? The question is, is he great enough? 
And I love the way that, that Paul there in 2 Corinthians, he says, he answers that question. He doesn't leave us hanging. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See what he's saying there? He's going, we're speaking the words of God in the gospel. What we've been given, what we've been entrusted is the words of God in the gospel. When you're speaking the gospel, you're speaking God's words. And the words of God are the words that brought light into darkness at the very beginning. I love how, I'm just going to steal something from our conference that we went to. Jared Wilson put this um, at, at, at Acts 39. He, he went, when you preach the gospel, you're stewarding the power of creation. Isn't it bigger than we imagine? Isn't it more glorious? Isn't it mighty? The power that brought galaxies, worlds, mountains, oceans, living creatures, and life into being. That's the power of the word that you steward when you proclaim Jesus Christ crucified and risen. The gospel, by God's plan, does not save everyone. Many choose not to believe and carry responsibility for that. But here's the truth. The power, sorry, the gospel is the power of God for salvation and many will believe he has told us. He will bring about a new creation in their hearts through it by his spirit's might. Paul says it's powerful to save Jews and powerful to save Greeks. He's not being narrow. Kind of sounds like, oh, right, that's why I don't see people saved. I don't live in the Mediterranean. But, but, like, but in, in his day, you know, he had it categorized. The world was categorized into two parts for him. There was the Jews and there was the everyone else in the Greek world, the Greeks. Right? That's, this is how those terms work. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation and it is mighty to save Jews and mighty to save Greeks and mighty to save Middleton people and mighty to save Port Vincent, Maitland, Yorktown and Brentwood people and the rest of the towns if I left you out. Mighty to save in the town, mighty to save in the country, mighty to save in the city and in the rural areas and in Australia and in the Philippines and in South, Southeast Asia and the Pacific and in the US and everywhere. He is mighty to save through his gospel. Every tribe and tongue and nation will be represented before the throne of God on the day when he returns. Do we believe it? When we struggle to believe it, what we need to do is remember the heart of it, of the gospel. Jesus, who died a sacrificial death for you. question we need to ask is is he enough is he able to save is he good enough is he great enough Ephesians says faith is a gift Romans 8 says that those whom God predestined he also calls and he will also justify salvation is a thing that God does even as people choose to believe do we believe it 
do we believe that God is enough? That he is mighty to save? That the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough to break a heart of stone? Do we believe it? It's not about you. It's not about whether you're good enough. Never has been. The gospel is God's power to save. And that gives us eager obligation. Second statement. Paul says that the gospel, that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. This actually kind of means two things, actually. The gospel shows us who God is. It reveals the living God. The gospel shows us who he is. It shows us his righteousness. And the gospel also brings the righteousness from God, the righteousness of God, into our lives. It reveals the righteousness of who God is is and it reveals the righteousness that God gives. In 2 Corinthians, again, Paul calls it the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel shows us who the God we say we follow is. John says that nobody has seen the Father. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. What he's saying is Jesus Jesus who came, lived, died and rose. When we, want, when we want to know who God the Father is, we look at him and he makes him known. When we look into the truth of the gospel, in other words, when we see the reality of the God who is creator of all, who has sole right to reign over all of creation and yet lowers himself and comes down and is amongst us, is with us and lives and dies a sinner's death. He carries all the weight of our sin and rises victorious. We see who God is. Paul writes that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The gospel leads us to know Jesus. And as we trust in him, as our faith is in him... So, we, we come to know that God is so much more righteous, so much more good, so much more just, and so much more merciful than we could have hoped or dreamed. Our faith becomes more faith. But it's not just to see how good He is. That could actually be really discouraging when you think about it, actually. If, if the gospel just showed us how good God is, um, like other people have said this better than I have. Martin Luther really struggled with this one. He was broken by this very verse for ages in Romans because he knew that God was righteous. He was like, well, duh, God's righteous. That's not my problem. My own righteousness doesn't measure up. God's going to crush me one day for my sin. But then he realized it's not just that God is righteous, but that in the gospel, I discover a power that makes me righteous in him. Here's what he wrote, translated out of German, of course, uh, not by me. He says, I grasp that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. As it is written, he 
who through faith is righteous shall live. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. As broken sinners come to know his goodness, his righteousness in the gospel, we also see his righteousness, his goodness flourishing in the lives of those same sinners. Isn't that the experience of us sinners, right? That he has poured his righteousness into us. On our own, we have nothing, but he has given righteousness to us. He's, he has imputed it to us. When he looks at you, if you are a faithful, if you are a believer in Jesus, he sees righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. And he is also building you up. He is sanctifying you in it. He is transforming you into the likeness of his righteousness. Though you fall, he will pick you up and he will continue on through the gospel, making you more like Jesus in your everyday life as well. From faith for faith, he builds us up in the gospel. Hear, hear the freedom in this for you if you struggle with guilt. If you struggle with guilt over not sharing the gospel. Or if you struggle with guilt about being such a rotten sinner, sinner and therefore not worthy to share the gospel. By faith in Jesus God has mightily given you righteousness. That's not from you, that's from him. Grace overpowers guilt. There is freedom in Jesus and in his name you are released from your guilt. Doesn't this give us an eager obligation, church? The gospel is the only way that people come to know God and it is the only way that condemned people like us and like everyone become righteous and it is powerful to do so. Finally, the gospel does not just save us and it does not just reveal God to us. Paul closes these short verses with a reality which is breathtaking. And we might hear it so often that we don't find it that way, but it should blow our mind. Through faith, the gospel gives life. The righteous shall live by faith. What does that mean? As we trust in the gospel, see the righteousness of God, receive his righteousness, and as we are saved from all sin, we gain, we experience life such as can be found nowhere else in the world, in the universe, in anywhere. Life is something that everyone is looking for. Everyone wants peace. Everyone wants to be alive and to feel life in themselves. You know, I passed a sign once. I was just walking along in the city one time, and the, you know, one of those bus stop signs with a big poster, maybe one of the rolly ones, I don't know. But, um, and and it, said, it was a sign for a used car dealership. Um, and it said, inner peace comes standard. I was like, does it? Like, why does that sell? That sells because people are dying for life. Real life is what everyone wants. I saw another one once. It was a, a billboard for a spot. This won't relate to many people. It's called Rochdale. It's in the south of Brisbane. It is not the best place in the world. It's not the worst place in the world, but like it's not like glamorous. And it was like Rochdale, the perfect place to be. 
I'm like, is it? Is Rochdale really going to fulfill me like you're saying? Like, like is, that, is that perfection? There is only one place to get life. It's not a second-hand Merck or Rochdale. Jesus. Jesus pours life into the spiritually dead. He changes lives today. He fills up with the Spirit of God. And not just that, by faith he conquers actual death for us. Life forever is ours in him and we experience the reality of that in our hearts even now. All this through the mighty power of his gospel. Isn't it a beautiful thing that we have been called into, church? Isn't it dazzling treasure that we hold in these jars of clay, our lowly and insufficient selves? Let me ask you, be honest. Is the mission to carry the gospel out for you more dutiful or beautiful? I think we all struggle with this. And you have to fight that thing in your heart that says this is just a duty and say, no, this is God's beauty. This is the treasure. Even if I'm broken in doing it, that that breaking creates cracks through which the, the treasure can shine. Do we see the beauty in it? The good news about Jesus is the power of God to save, and it can save anyone. The good news about Jesus is the breathtaking goodness of God. It shows us his goodness and pours his righteousness into our lives. Isn't it beautiful? The good news about Jesus brings life to the dead, both spiritually and ultimately physically as well. Isn't it beautiful? God, let us be a church that cries, we are not ashamed of the gospel. We've got nine weeks in this gospel-shaped outreach thing that we're doing. Um, and there's going to be plenty of time to be encouraged, to be built up, to be challenged, to be um, motivated as we go through this thing. Today, as we finish, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask us to take the eager obligation that we find in the gospel and take a step of faith in that. George Mueller was a, a fellow who did some remarkable things for the gospel. And, uh, and you can read about him sometime if you want. I'm not going to give you the George Mueller intro. But George Mueller, he once picked five guys. He wrote this in his diary. He picked five guys who he was going to pray for. Uh, who didn't know Jesus and he wanted them to know Jesus. And he believed that it would be his joy when they came to know Jesus. And he picked these five guys, he wrote their names down and he says he prayed for them every day without ceasing. That is like every single day without an interruption, sick or well, on sea or on land, in the town or in the city, in the country, wherever. He prayed for these five guys that they would be saved. And after 18 months, how many days is that? Anyone mathsy? Lots. 18 months, one guy was converted. 
do we have the do we have the beauty of the gospel to such an extent that we can pray for someone for 18 months until they're converted he thanked god and he kept on praying five years later number two was converted he thanked god kept on praying six years after that number three was converted he thanked god he kept on praying imagine that six years of praying because you believe that the gospel is power to save and it will every day pray george prayed for the last two until the day he died and he died without seeing them come to faith but in 1897 after he died the final two came to faith in jesus praise god right here's my challenge for you today I want you to write down the names of two people. If you're in our gospel communities, you already, you've already done this, probably. And I just want you to write those names down again and just do it like this, if you will. Um, in fact, just take two seconds, reach under your chair and grab the post-it note that's stuck under your chair. Okay. If you're sitting on a chair that was out at the start, you've got one. If you have leg issues, ask someone near you to help you reach under your chair and grab the post-it note. I'm not joking, I've got the rest of them here. I've been fiddling with them in my pocket the whole service because I'm a fiddler. Now, raise your hand if you have a pen or pencil with you. Okay. If you do not, there is a pen pot at the back there with a stack of them in it. I checked they all worked before the service. So you can grab one of those. And if you're a believer in Jesus, I would like you to take that post-it note and write, just write the name of two people who, who don't know Jesus and who you want to know Jesus. And who you want to share his good news with. I'm going to give you a, a sec to do that. There's pens at the back here, like I said. I'm going to write mine. Everyone had a chance? Everyone had the moment? I want you to tuck that into a pocket, somewhere safe, somewhere you're not going to lose it, and take it home, and just put that next to your bed. Yeah. Go to bedside cupboard, put it in the drawer, put it on the cupboard, stick it to your lamp, take your pick. Take it home, and every morning, just, just pray for those two. Doesn't have to be long, doesn't have to be eloquent, doesn't have to be fancy. Jesus, would you save these two people? By your mighty and powerful gospel, would you pour the righteousness of God into them and show them your goodness? Let them believe. You don't have to say it like that. You could just say, Jesus, Jim and Steve don't know you. Please let them know you. Please help me to be able to share that with them. Boom, you're done. Tricky bit is do it again the next day. Let's be a church that prays, that believes in the power of God enough to pray for it. And just keep on praying. George Mueller can do it for like 60 years. 
I reckon we can manage this. I remember one time when, uh, when I prayed with a, with a sister in the faith for an opportunity to share the gospel um, with, with a particular person. And, and she, we were praying for an opportunity to share the gospel and to invite someone to, to an Alpha series. Um, we run Life series these days. They're very similar. Um, and that very day, <laughs> I walk up to this person and they're like, I just feel this emptiness inside and I feel like I'm trying to fill it with all sorts of things and it just doesn't work. Um, what do you reckon about that? I was like, prayer works. I didn't actually say that to her. Um, <laughs> but, but like, God can do it. Do we believe it? Church, let's pray over this and trust that the gospel is indeed the power of God for salvation. And finally, just let me speak to the person here who was like, post-it note, pray for someone. I don't even know Jesus myself. We've talked a lot about how good he is. We're not joking. It's not a facade. God is good and you need him. My prayer for you is that you would come to trust in him today. That the power of God in the gospel would break through to, through your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and give you life today in Jesus' name. That by faith you would be given the life that is in Jesus. If that's you, would you take this opportunity? And, and we're all going to pray together as well. So would you pray with me now? If you're that person, I, I would invite you just to say, Jesus, I've been running from you. I've sinned. I've been a rebel. But I want to trust in you. And I trust that you are enough to save me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior from here on out into eternity. And Lord, I pray for all of us here that we would feel the eagerness in the midst of the obligation of the gospel, that we would long for it to go out from us like we long to take a breath when it's healthy, and that you would mightily save many here. We pray it in the powerful name of Jesus.